Welcome to Web3 Academy, a place for entrepreneurs, businesses, and creators to learn how to use Web3 business models to build thriving communities and sustainable revenue. Today's the Doer Spotlight, and we have with us Corel from TreasureDAO. If you have not heard about TreasureDAO and you're in Web3, or if you're new to Web3, this is such a great podcast for you because this is somebody who's building an entire ecosystem within the gaming space. TreasureDAO is building the decentralized Nintendo. They're building the decentralized platform upon which a entire gaming ecosystem can be built. And they're doing it in so many exciting ways. We dive into so much of this in this episode. We talk about the what it takes to build an ecosystem that involves a token, that involves a NFT marketplace that enables new games to come on board, but also new players to come into the ecosystem and connect. And then we also talk about what it's like to build with community, to build IP from the bottom up and how you can involve people in building the culture of a game and the culture of the IP that you're building. We also dive into some future games and some future projects that are coming out on TreasureDAO. And we can't not have a conversation without talking about marketplaces. We don't dive into the royalty side of marketplaces. We more so focus today on Trove Marketplace, which is Trezor's own marketplace that they built that focuses on Arbitrum NFTs. Trezor is built upon Arbitrum. They're on that layer too. But this is a way that they have strategically decided to create a vertically integrated marketplace. And what does that mean? And how can more doers and builders in the space think about building their own marketplace? It's a really interesting model that I think we're going to see more more people do. This is going to be a banger of an episode. Thanks so much for showing everybody. Really hope you enjoyed today's show. Before we get into it, let's just take a minute to hear from our sponsors. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we partner with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. Unlock Protocol is the NFT membership protocol for Web3. Content subscriptions, community access, event tickets are all forms of memberships, one of the most common business models for creators and entrepreneurs today. Building an NFT membership opens many new possibilities for your members. Everything from tailored multi-platform experiences to the ability to sell an unfinished subscription on secondary markets. These are things just not possible in Web2. However, in order for this business model to work, 
creators need NFTs, which are time bound or have built in recurring payments. Unlock Protocol does this for your NFTs. Better yet, with a few simple steps, you can create your own NFT contract without code. What WordPress has done for websites, Unlock Protocol is doing for membership NFTs. If you're an NFT creator, you can't rely on royalties as they are likely going to zero. You need recurring revenue. You need Unlock. At Web3 Academy, we believe NFT memberships are the future of business and community. And that's why we decided to build on Unlock. Learn more at unlock-protocol.com. Today with us, we got a true doer on the show. And you know how you know this is a true doer? This guy dropped out of school because he wanted to do so bad. He just wanted to get down to building. Corel, welcome to the show, my man. How are you? I am doing incredible. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Well, Corel is the co-founder and CEO of Treasure Dow. And Carl, I was so stoked about the show. But before we get to Treasure Dow, let me just give a little bit of a brief background on who you are. So you dropped out of school, as I mentioned before, and you can tell us maybe why did you drop out of school? Let's hear it from your mouth. Yeah, well, so I went to a school that's called the uh, University of Toronto. Nothing against the school. School's great. I mean, I was always someone who just liked being hands-on. And so somewhere along the way, you know, I was just, I was coding, I was building stuff on the side. I just wanted to do that. And so that was really the pathway for me. And so ended up moving to the Valley for a bit, started working on a startup, the whole kind of shebang came back home, was still kind of doing. And so kind of got sucked in and never really went back. And, and I'm sure my, my parents love that to make fun of me for, and, for and, not finishing to this day. But And nothing against Toronto. I like that you said that. Both of us are from Toronto. So shout out That's Toronto, right. shout out to the six, all the love there. <laughs> UFT is a great school, just not for doers because some yeah. of us just, we just have that itch. And so you, as you mentioned, you moved out to SF, you got involved in, project management, software engineer, did that for a few years. And then you joined a pretty exciting fund, the, the Demaris family. Did I say that right? I might have got uh, right again. The Demaray family. Demaray family. family. I get that wrong every it's a hard time. One. It's a hard one. The Demaray family, which is one of the wealthiest families in Canada. And you joined there. You were employee number one at this fund that they were building. You worked your way up to become chief to, of staff to the CEO. You left it 14 billion assets under management, over 250 people from being number one. Like what a ride that must have been. We're not going to jump into that today, although I'm sure there's many stories you could share out of that. But through it all, always playing gaming. Where'd the love for gaming come? Uh, it was formative, like growing up and I'm part of a, an immigrant family. The We didn't have too much on to kind of provide. And so the one thing that kind of brought us together now, brother Kevin, and I think a lot of this is really from early years, uh, there's not much else to do. And so we had commuter games, we had dial-up internet where we'd wait in front of LimeWire and <laughs> wait for things to download and eventually you'd have a game that you could kind of play and so that was really just everything we could kind of do around that time and so we did everything together we played a bunch of games i mean for me it was like starcraft all like blizzard all the mm -hmm. games that kind of, kind of mm -hmm. came from that and loved and kind of grew up on and so it was a perfect kind of storm eventually to get to where i am today of just being and kind of being so immersed in, in games i mm -hmm. love it it's it's a dream come true for sure so before 
we go down, we explain how that led to you being involved in Treasure Dow and then going full time at Treasure Dow. I've just got to ask who, if Kevin's listening to this, who's the better gamer? Who would win? <laughs> it depends on the game. Depends on the game. <laughs> if it's StarCraft, it will be me. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. You heard it, Kevin. Come back. We'll get you on the show. You can get your, you can get your, get back at Crow. <laughs> so let's jump into first before you explain. Who Treasure Dow is, and it's definitely something that is super a exciting for the future of gaming, but also just exciting for Web three because you guys are anybody who's in a Web three enthusiast looks at an ecosystem that you guys are building, and it's so impressive because you're using the Dow model, you're using the marketplace and NFT infrastructure, and you're using community in such a powerful way. And I'm just, I'm so pumped to dive into all of it. But let me just ask, how did you kind of lead into Treasure Dow? What was your sort of entry point into the team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I won't go deep into the pre-Treasure life, but, you know, right, like we were still doing stuff in kind of crypto at this kind of firm. And so it was always like mm -hmm. adjacent to kind of everything I was doing. And so as we were kind of launching our crypto funds and doing a lot of this kind of investing on as well. It was always something that was kind of like top of mind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm spending my evenings and weekends and whatever, <laughs> very little time I had, which I think resonates with a lot of people before they dive into the rabbit hole. And yeah, I mean, it was just exploration and seeing this tech that was kind of being built. And I think at the same time, I think it's, it would be disingenuous to not highlight, which I think a lot of people kind of come into the space for which is like, oh, sh shoot, like you can make a, a ton of money. And so I can't say that was what ended up happening for me. But you know, <laughs> I think for uh, between that, between the kind of just, I think the ownership, the tech and all the stuff that it yeah. enables, like that's a really cool thing. And I think for me, like I'm, I'm constantly kind of just enamored by like all this stuff. And so around that kind of time frame, I started getting a bit deeper into NFTs and came across this thing called Loot, which mm -hmm. eventually led into kind of treasure. But happy to give the rundown on Loot for those who don't know as well. Without going deep into loot, can you give yeah, okay. the, the one sentence? I don't know if I can do it in one sentence. Probably not. I was, <laughs> yeah. There was a challenge. That was yeah. A challenge. <laughs> so, so regular NFTs, they're represented by, I mean, typically represented by like some visual image. Loot kind of flipped the model on that and was like, here is like black kind of cards, white text on it. There were eight words on it. And it was more of a like, a building block, if you will. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of left up to whoever was on kind of the, the holder side or just the community at large who was part of this kind of ecosystem to kind of do what they wanted with it. And I think that was just a really impressive and kind of novel way of approaching it, which led into a ton of different kind of derivatives or extensions of what this quote unquote kind of loot metaverse could be. Mm -hmm. And treasure was one of the derivatives that kind of spawned from that. And so loot was kind of the like fantasy style, like equipment. It was like a right. helmet and a chest plate and a, a sword or something that kind yeah. of represents what you could kind of form around with kind of a number of game items and things like that. Yeah. And web three game items, because I think as we all know, there's gaming industry is just, it's ripe for disruption. It's at a place where 
you've got these walled gardens and then control and you don't have you don't have the opportunity for this exciting interoperability that Web3 enables, for ownership that Web3 enables. I don't think we need to dive deep into the problem of what's going on with gaming currently and why that why it's so exciting. What I want to focus on is okay, what does Treasure DAO offer? And I'm going to pass this one over to you because I'm still trying to figure out the elevator pitch on Treasure DAO. It's there's so much to it. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, so First and foremost, we like to use an analog, which I don't think actually captures it fully, but it does a good enough job. And okay. we like to say that Treasure is building essentially a decentralized Nintendo. And so it is kind of part game publisher and part gaming ecosystem. We have really a set of games that we kind of build ourselves, but then we have partners who we work with who are building their own games. And these are game studios. These are other mm -hmm. builders who are kind of mm -hmm. in the mix. What kind of unifies and connects everything all together and underpins this entire ecosystem are a set of kind of resources, which we have this common kind of token it's called magic it's the mm -hmm. currency of treasure and then we have these building blocks in the same way that kind of being inspired by loot what if you had these game assets that you know are shared across a number of games and mm -hmm. used in a interoperable kind of way wrapping it all together we have just infrastructure just all the kind of tools things that you would need as a game but also as a player to really kind of immerse yourself and kind of build and participate in this ecosystem ecosystem. So that's a marketplace, that's a automated kind of market maker and a number of different kind of elements there that we have kind of built for the community. We say decentralized kind of Nintendo because it's always been kind of bottom up and grassroots. So mm -hmm. when we started, we gave everything away for free as a mm -hmm. fair launch kind of free mint for the NFTs and it's function functional as, as a DAO. And so a lot of it is how do we kind of foster this ecosystem Again, like maybe even polar opposites of walled gardens. We want people to kind of come in and build with us. And there's a process and ways to kind of do that to maybe formally be recognized by the DAO as like a game that is powered by treasure. And so that's really kind of unpacking that, that overall sort of term, but I'm excited to just kind of see what's been built out. And that's been over, over a year now we have over 30 people that were uh, kind of working with us and with the DAO kind of full time. We've done a lot with our marketplace and continue to kind of build a ton of games. And it's an exciting kind of path we're on. It's incredible. It's been a year. You guys have got 30 full time people in a DAO, which I mean, even just, we don't need to go down the legal structuring formation, how you manage salaries of like 30 full-time people, but that's start, starting a company and getting to 30 people within a year is pretty rare. So it's amazing how within a DAO, you guys are doing that. You're such a, a leading example of DAO growth with so much success. So, okay, let me just play this back to you. So I'm a game developer. I get to come into Treasure's ecosystem. I don't have to make my own token, first of all complex tokenomics, got to figure that out. Second of all, I don't have to worry about my token being smashed in prices and that affecting my ecosystem, which as we've seen so many times, so many web three games have really failed because of the speculation on their token. And then 
all these staking rewards and these high yield promises, and then the token struggles to keep up. So I don't have to worry about any of that in your ecosystem. I can just come in, boom, token already exists. I get to use it. It's got great liquidity. And then it's got this amazing marketplace behind it. So I can access the marketplace. All my in-game items can be sold super easily. I can buy and sell. I also probably have access to a large community of gamers, right? Guilds and all these people who want to play the game. So that's huge marketing for me as a, as a game developer. I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm not a game developer, but if anyone out here is listening, you should be building on treasure, right? This is the place to be. So, okay, so I've got the full... Did I get that right? Did I miss anything in my... We'll add one, couple, maybe a couple of things. So okay. the token and the whole magic kind of connection, we've seen a number of models kind of come to light, right? As a builder, you can choose if you want to use magic entirely. And we've had a good example of that. Someone raised a ton of money, they used four and a half million of it to buy a ton of magic and they're using it for their game, which is like a great kind of proof point that is still being proven out. They're actually launching very soon. It's a game called Battle. Fly, but you also have different models where as a builder, you probably also want as well to maybe maintain and have freedom on your token kind of economics and how all that works. And so we are seeing kind of like different models kind of form one where maybe they're using magic entirely and that's amazing. Another where they have their own token. There's also a way for magic to kind of be folded into it, which is also awesome and mm -hmm. kind of lends itself to how do we foster an ecosystem where a number of different models can exist and have that kind of tied together. The other point I would add is I think beyond the community, the ecosystem, the tech, I think there's a big point around just like distribution and kind of just like go to market, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff that we do is like, how do we help to drive attention and kind of cross-pollination of the games across the ecosystem. And so that aids in just like growing the community and the player base and all that stuff. I think the secret sauce, which I think needs all of these ingredients to kind of be put together is the, this point of like interoperability that is kind of novel, but also practical and comes to life because we are an ecosystem and because we have this token that links everyone together. And then there's also just like an implicit where kind of all in this together and it's kind of this like rising tide of saw boats kind of perspective. It's less of, I think, what we're sort of seeing right now in kind of web through gaming, which is almost like web to like brand partnerships where it's like, oh, like X game, I'm going to incorporate your game NFTs and characters into my game. And you can kind of play this loop. And, and I think we're also still early in that journey. I think for us, it's a bit of that, but it's also how do you interweave the economies as well, mm -hmm. which is also a really hard thing. And so it's like, if in this one game, I'm creating a resource and then this other game, I'm using it and I have ways to kind of intake it into my game and then I'm going to craft something with it, which then can hmm. be used on a character, which is also used in the other game and also maybe three or four other games. And so you kind of have <laughs> this like built in from the ground up. And I think you can only kind of do that when like your well, one, like maybe still small and still grassroots and very hands on, but also in a kind of ecosystem where we're more peers than we're more than and less competitors, which I think is the state of gaming right now. Wow. I just, I'm, I'm, my mind is blown 
because I'm sitting over here excited about the interoperability of taking a sword across a game. And you're like, we're going way deeper than that. We're going to take that sword. You're going to take it to a new game. You're going to turn it into some mega sword. And then you're going to bring it back to this game. Like, oh my gosh. So let's just touch on interoperability because it is, I think it's the thing that is sort of the one of the really exciting parts of Web3 gaming, but nobody really has seen it yet or done it well yet. As you said, it's so new and so nascent and everyone's just experimenting right now. Is there like is there a specific example you like to give of where you see it down the road? This could be an entire podcast. I think there's so many nuances and ways to approach it. You have like lighter versions, deeper versions that you can kind of go. I mean, I think for us, like we see interoperability almost as it's like an interwoven gaming ecosystem and it's underpinned by resources. So you can have interoperable kind of shared across games, also mm-hmm. infrastructure, but then you can also have game mechanics. So imagine if you had seasonality or just based on something that happens in another game it's winter the winter spreads into this other game and it affects it slows things down which in turn impacts other components and so you have just it kind of goes beyond the assets at that point and because things are on chain you have this new mechanism that can inform what you can do with just like game design, which is like a huge kind of white space and having these not just kind of new capabilities, but also limitations of what can be on chain and what can't be. I think it, mm-hmm. it lends itself to just like a whole ton of experimentation. And so I think the this definition of like interoperability is is still so, so new. And I think there's so much mm-hmm. to, to kind of uncover here. Yeah, it's so true. It's so deep, as you said, and I wish we could go full out on this show, but there's so many other things, so many other great things to cover. Yeah, sorry. If if I can just add, I mean, I think the one big thing for us is like, you have games, you have players, and I think what interoperability like adds on top of this is a whole kind of like one plus one equals three kind of Mm -hmm. mechanic where it's like, you have greater network value and just like the sum of the part, the the whole is greater than some of the parts in this. For sure. I'm just curious about how you guys work as a DAO and as an ecosystem. And maybe we actually could just focus on one specific example of interoperability. Is there designer, game designer meetings where you guys get together and you jam out on this stuff and make sure that you're creating the infrastructure for this type of game design? Because, or is this, or is this type of interoperability all going to be permissionless where I don't necessarily need to talk to another game designer? I can just build build my story on top of their story or build it in. Yeah, I think we're not at that stage yet of full permissionless. And we're actually going through this exercise now of there there are already quite a few ways that we're expressing interoperability within Treasure. But part of it is to, you kind of have to like put out a framework and put out like a starting point for people to know and really understand what's happening mm-hmm. and to kind of spark that just creativity and oh shit moment of like, mm-hmm. oh, I can do this with this asset. And I never really kind of thought about that. And and also I think, so, so there's a coordination part, which I think is always going to need to be there. And I think we'll have to facilitate that for some time, but I think it's because it kind of operate in this manner. And I think if you go back to just 
traditional kind of groups of entrepreneurs, like it's almost like a founders group where you have other builders who are building games. They're going through similar things, whether it's game design or just how do I go through this legal stuff? What about my taxes? <laughs> All of these different things that we can, as like a community of builders, but also players, you can kind of align around like a common theme and similar kind of experiences that you're going through. Take us through the journey at a high level of Treasure Now. We talked about sort of the, some of the future things and where we're going, but you guys are at, I believe, over 260 million in market cap, marketplace volume on, sorry, not market marketplace volume on Magic total so far. How, how did you guys get there? You've done, you're the number one, number two platform in marketplace next to OpenSea. Did I get that right? No, that I'd love to be there, but we are not quite there yet. That was, I think earlier this year on a single day, we did. Oh, it is, uh, that's right. A, a, a ton of, of volume definitely a very different market then. But yeah, I mean, I think the journey, so starting out from loot and I won't go through every detail. Yeah. We're a loot derivative. We launched, we actually wanted to be the money for the Lootverse from a magic kind of standpoint with that kind of thesis of, oh, well, we can kind of tie everything together. You need this to connect the ecosystem. They went down a different path. They had this thing called A-Gold. And then we also created these, again, these primitives, which were eight words on a card, gold, lumber, a carriage, things like that, that you yeah. could kind of use as building blocks. We kind of took that and had this evolution of the thesis of, hey, well, what if there were like at least two games that were simultaneously successful, but also using the same token and using these kind of shared resources, which we haven't necessarily kind of seen being interwoven in this sort of way. So mm -hmm. we launched this thing called Bridge Worlds, which was mm -hmm. a kind of set of characters from its name was really meant to kind of sit at the center of all of treasure. And Magic was kind of the name of the game. It was kind of a strategic kind of tabletop like game as well. And then you had this other brand and and kind of now a game or soon to be a game called Smallverse, which they were represented by these small brain monkeys and their IQ increased over time as you kind of stake them. And as the collective kind of population IQ increased, the world advanced, which was a really mm -hmm. kind of neat mechanic. And so we launched these two kind of projects and really it was to seed this thesis of, again, simultaneously two games using the same resources. We needed to build infrastructure for it because we were moving to Arbitrum, which is a, an Ethereum L2, a layer two. And so you needed to, well, one, we, we knew and still believe that this is the future of kind of Ethereum. Eventually you will hit a scale and require really everything to be on an L2 in order sure. to kind of keep up with all this. And also things were really expensive back then on, on the layer one, if you wanted to build gameplay, you definitely couldn't do it there. And so we moved to Arbitrum. We actually took the kind of eight words on a card, turned them into their own individual NFTs. So gold became a thing, lumber became a thing. And so they, we could then do more with that kind of mm -hmm. as in-game assets. And so, yeah, we moved everything over. There wasn't a great marketplace. We wanted to use our token magic on it. So we created that. It's called Trove Today. That also has its own journey. I think over time, it we started to bring in just an ecosystem of other builders, other game studios who 
like the vision who wanted to plug in and connect and build with us, which really kind of leads us to where we are today. And so the whole decentralized Nintendo ecosystem kind of thesis mm -hmm. or narrative, it's still be, it's beginning to play out. And so these games are plugging in. We have many more game partners that are, that we're in talks with that are soon to launch or announce publicly that they're joining Treasure. And I think it's, I think we're up to maybe 10 games now, uh, kind of across the board and uh, many more in, in the pipeline. Yeah, how many are currently under developed? I mean, all actively building. Ten of them have been announced. That we have two that are kind of soon to to launch, and I think we have four or five more that are kind of in in stealth. And to be clear, the, these are and this is where the decentralized kind of name comes in, right? It's it's th games that we're not building. We partnered right. with others to to build these. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, but you're providing the infrastructure layer that allows them to build on top and it's so exciting to think about the potential it's so early you guys must just sit around and be like oh my gosh there's there's 10 right now there could be 100 200 a year from now i don't know maybe i'm oh, being optimistic I mean, that, that you would, tell me <laughs> that'd be amazing i mean not a numbers game it's a hits game right and so as right. we identify and partner with like really great games oftentimes those are the ones that bring the most attention again mm -hmm. if you look at nintendo there's mario's there's pokemon animal crossing like the names that you can probably identify as like ip that is on that console is kind of far and few in between that said though i think what we want where we want to land is a portfolio of games that is diverse you should mm -hmm. have a huge selection regardless of what kind of games you play to be able to enjoy. They should be across different genres, different themes. Some, a lot of them should probably be mobile. That's definitely going to mm -hmm. be the future of a lot of Web3 kind of gaming. And we hope to have that coverage over time. Totally. Okay, let's talk about, you mentioned Smallverse. And is it pronounced, it's pronounced Smallverse, but it's spelled yeah, S-M-O-L. Okay, so it's not yeah. Smallverse. It's, it's, it's such a cool game. Big fan of it. The characters are just amazing. It does have that real Mario feel to it. It has that brand stickiness and that IP that, yeah, makes me, it's fun and it's, it's engaging and it's family friendly. So you mentioned that this was one of your sort of first plays and you mentioned that you did a free mint. Can we just talk a little bit about the, what the strategy was behind that, how you're really focused on this like bottom up brand creation, bottom up culture, bottom up IP creation? Yeah. So the genesis for that was in order to participate in the free mint, you needed to draw a picture of a monkey. And so the art was kind of created, draw a picture, add your discord ID, submit it in the chat. <laughs> and there was then it was locked for future submissions went through every single thing kind of one by one and to make sure we could kind of add these people to the mints and that was really kind of the starting point so it was really meant as a way for people to kind of gain exposure to what we were planning and on the course of building with with magic and treasure and over time it just emerged as i mean something that kind of caught fire right there were folks like the gary v's that were kind of joining the community you had mario goat 
Kotze from kind of the German soccer team and a whole bunch of other kind of large folks, crypto, but also non that were kind of coming in and because they kind of resonated with this, it was something that didn't necessarily kind of take itself too, too seriously. Right. And I think that was also kind of the beauty of, I think what this brands could emerge as. And so I think where it's going is it's almost kind of becoming this culture of one is small. We are kind of silly, not serious. Sometimes we're a little stupid, but it's all about growing and it's all about kind of going through this together. And I think the big thing that kind of comes out of this community is that there's a certain kind of look of the brand and Mm -hmm. the moment someone enters into the ecosystem, someone will get in front of this person and ask them like, Hey, like, what do you like? What do you, is there a character that resonates with you? And someone will create a custom like small brain for them, which has the kind of look and feel of it to kind of invite them, bring them in. And so it kind of spawns a creator and artist kind of community also from the bottom up. As we were doing all this, it we had this kind of storyline. I mentioned the whole kind of population as kind of growing technological advancements. And so you had this kind of narrative that was going on where all the smalls were on a planet. They There was a natural disaster. They had to fly to space. They went to the moon. They came back. And so you had this kind of also something that didn't really take itself too seriously. And we were just kind of having fun with it. But it created a bit of a, a white space for a brand mm-hmm. and a franchise to emerge, which I think as you look at a lot of Web3 brands, what kind of resonates the most with people. It's the things that people can identify with, that they can laugh with and kind of be call themselves as part of the community. And so mm-hmm. that that's something that we're leading into a lot and a game is being built around this. Amazing. I think it's so interesting, this free to own model that Web3 enables, particularly the way it can work for Web3 games. And I think what we first saw was we saw play to earn and we saw Axie and their success, but really only Axie was able to achieve that success. And pretty quickly, we saw the issues that come with that, where it becomes too expensive to play the game. It's tough for new entrants. And mm-hmm. But this free-to-own model that you guys use, what would you say to, would you, if you were to talk to somebody who's building a new game, yeah. what would your advice be? Would you tell them to go free-to-own? Would you tell them to, what, would, what do you think is a good framework to use for a new entrant? Yeah, yeah. You know what? And we have these conversations every day with new studios or developers who are building. It kind of depends on your starting point, honestly. And I think there's, oh, there's definitely, I think, a big stigma of what I think there was a the past cycle of huge mints, 10,000, bringing a ton mm-hmm. of money. And then obviously there are certain groups that just kind of left, which is not great. That said, it also is great if you're there to build and you're there to do something with that Mm because it means you have all the means to kind of continue kind of chugging along and building towards your vision. I think there's like a question of alignment, especially if it's a huge windfall that you get from it. You don't Mm -hmm. really have the necessary incentives to keep going. I think on the free to own side, and this ties into a very topical and recent conversation on royalties, Mm -hmm. if you start free, how do you make your money and your revenue. So you have to have, I think, well, an evolution of the model. The one thing that we've been kind of seeing is the 10,000 kind of NFT collectible start was is restricting because your audience can only be a cap of 10,000. If you're building a game, you want to reach 
tons more than that. And so I think we're seeing a bit of a, maybe a hybrid where it should be free to play. You can participate if you want to then take an asset, unlock something, gain a small bonus or it's cosmetic or something, you then have something you have to pay for, which lends itself, I think, well, but it also means that it's, it, you don't necessarily have like the starting point of, unless you have the funds uh, immediately. So if you're a builder, I think it kind of depends on your personal circumstances. I think we're seeing just different combinations of all those models kind of come to life. You have like founders passes, the true believers who will come and be part of your community, build with you and contribute, especially if you're very bottom up, they have the front row seat and they helped you with almost that kind of initial seed funding. So it, it'll differ. Yeah. It's amazing. There's so many, it's, I think it kind of comes back to what you said before. One of the best parts about this space is it's just like the biggest wide open ocean that any of us have experienced in tech, but that's also a challenge, right? And so when you have all these models, which is another reason why treasure can offer such a great ecosystem product isn't necessarily the right word in this case. It's more like the opportunity to become involved in an ecosystem where there's help early on because I'm sure for a lot of builders out there, it's tough. Like we talk all the time on this show. So many of our, of our guests, they're not just building a product. They're also building a standard. They're pushing through some proposal on Ethereum. They're also trying to create some backend infrastructure to build on top of. So it's so great and so helpful when we have organizations, DAOs like you guys, who are really taking care of the whole thing so that somebody can come in and be like, oh, I just want to focus on this one thing that I want to do. Uh, absolutely. I think the there's always that question of, do you just build it yourself or partner with somebody? <laughs> and you have to also have to weigh, weigh that out. I think because of the space, there are so many tools at your disposal that you should be able to pick up and plug in together, which I think is the beauty of it. And so we, we also wrestle with that question ourselves of what can, who can we partner with to really mm. kind of speed things up and have this available for the other partners we bring in to, to kind of plug in. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's a lot out there. I mean, kudos to everyone who's still building and doing in this environment. It's, it's an easy time, I think, for many to want to exit, but I think mm -hmm. the people who are sticking around will, will be better for it. Uh, down, down For sure. Yeah. It's a time when it's, this is when the most valuable opportunities will be built. This is when the most valuable products will be built, but it's also, it's, it's a challenging time and it's, it's tough for the space mm -hmm. to be, it's never easy when mentally you're drained every day because there's so much, unfortunately, media negativity, but we don't need to get into that on this show. <laughs> we keep it on the up and positive here. There so you, go. you mentioned marketplaces. I want to come back to Trove, your marketplace that you guys have built and also the future marketplaces. So let's just start at the beginning. Give us the, the lowdown on Trove. What's Trove? Yeah. When do you guys create it? What's sort of, where are you guys at? Yeah, so created it last November serving treasure it used magic solely as the sole denomination so everything was flowing through in magic that overall what has contributed to the kind of volumes that we've done today close to 270 million primarily through magic we at some point 
down the road, I think in June this year, we ended up opening up to the rest of the ecosystem on Arbitrum. And this was really as a way for mm -hmm. us to serve the needs of everyone else who was here. It was, again, we were super early on the L2. A lot of the infrastructure was still being built out then. And so there was a, an opportunity for us to also kind of meet the demands of people who were asking to kind of plug in, even if they weren't a treasure game. So it made a lot of sense. And I think over time, though, it kind of caused and created a bit of a divergence in what was a treasure game project and what was just a general yeah. collection mm -hmm. on Arbitrum. Could have been a PFP, could have been a music, arts, and access pass. And, and, and there also was not a lot of support. And so down the road, fairly recently, actually, OpenSea ended up supporting Arbitrum. You had mm -hmm. a number of other come out and start supporting Arbitrum. And so it kind of led us to have a really kind of moment to kind of stop and think of, again, with this focus on gaming, should Trove continue to kind of maintain this role? And so just two weeks ago, we ended up launching a really kind of large update to Trove, really to turn it into this destination for gaming on Treasure. A lot of the team, we grew up on games. We used a lot of the tools that he used to play games. We're, you know, deeply inspired by something like a, like a Steam that helps to drive both distribution, but then there's a whole other side of it, which is as a player, it kind of ties and brings your experience across games together. And so as we think about Trove, it's turning into this kind of vehicle that we can use to help people learn, explore, get into all the games that we have within Treasure, participate, and we're wrapping it all together through, again, going back to the whole interoperability front, these kind of new planned features that we have around badges and achievements makes total okay. sense. The whole soul bounds tokens has been a kind of topic that's been discussed, but you know, you can kind of use this to really prove that the reputation you have, the contributions you've made in the space, things that you've done in the game, all of this can come to light. And so you already see this in web two, but you know, it's something that we can kind of bring forward in web three and work with a lot of our partners to enable. And you also have what we are kind of building towards, which is almost a like global kind of XP system that for the games and also for the marketplace, you also want to have really this way of like gamifying your experience, not just as a player and not just through the games, but, you know, having this kind of surface within the Trove kind of marketplace. So, so there's a kind of marked, I'd say, evolution of just being much more gaming centric, creating the infra for players and game builders to kind of tap into all these different things which will mm -hmm. really help and surface like, how do we get your game in front of the most, as many people as we can? How do we create these experiences and these features that will help to drive even greater kind of exposure utility across, not only kind of within your game, but also outside of it. And there's a whole mm -hmm. ton of uh, other things that we have planned as well. And so, sorry, so can, will Trove stay for non-Treasure Arbitrum NFTs? Yeah, so so with that, it's focused solely on gaming now. There are with OpenSea and with all the other kind of marketplaces out there, we'll have there, there's coverage for generalized marketplaces, which kind of feeds for back sure. to I think your original question of I think having that like maybe vertical sort of focus on gaming it kind of lets us do more than we could have done if we tried to 
build something that was meant for everyone. And so I think with this focus, we're, we'll have a lot of games. They will be on treasure, but even games that are still on Arbitrum and just the broader ecosystem, maybe they won't use magic, but it's really, I think, as a way for us to support any game that is like building in within the broader kind of network for Trove to be there for them. Yeah, it makes this concept of vertically integrated marketplaces makes so much sense. Just to give a random example, not related to gaming, but I want to purchase a new music NFT for our podcast right now. And there is no good UX marketplace for me to go find a music NFT. You have to go to the existing marketplaces, which don't focus on music. So it's not like they're giving it to me in a nice player or I can listen to it where I can shuffle. They're not giving me, they're not giving me rankings across collections of like, this is the best song within this collection. So it's the same thing with gaming that it allows you guys to create this experience. And we talk so much about onboarding billions of people. Like there's a reason that Reddit was able to onboard two, three, almost 3 million people in such a short period of time this summer because they made it super easy UX. Now, obviously it also had a massive community that fit with that, with what they were selling. But I think that this, yeah, this concept of vertically integrated marketplace really will allow onboarding to be much more seamless. Is that how you guys are thinking about it? Yeah, d definitely. It's the exposure of like, this game is they have a tournament or they have mm -hmm. a world boss and hey everyone come and band together to bring that boss down <laughs> yes it, power to the people <laughs> exactly so it's like it's those experiences that you couldn't necessarily kind of do if you weren't focused on something you, yeah you have other marketplaces that you know oh this thing is minting or we're selling this new thing and come and buy but i think it kind of goes beyond that to, to doing a bit more i think this whole kind of proof of play concept of the whole badges, achievements, you can kind of have that built in. We've had this for a while, but you know, there's like a tab in which like the actual game loads, but it's in the marketplace. So you can buy something mm. and not even leave the marketplace, but just uh. start playing with that asset there. So you have a lot of these things that are just, it's like tailor made for that sort of use case. And I think, I mean, for the future of this and your kind of music example is a great one i think there will be like much more focused kind of marketplaces out there will probably also be maybe not even a need for marketplaces entirely for projects that have that sort of brand built and that community built why do you have to give that two and a half percent to a third party if a lot of the things are kind of running through your own marketplace if you're playing games you don't have to go to eBay or some other marketplace to buy that asset, you just, it's directly within the game, right? And so for I sure. think we'll have more of those kind of use cases arise. And I think the infrastructure is going to be built up for that. And that's also something that we someday also want to be able to do as well for our game partners. Wow. Is there anything you guys don't want to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and no, that's a good question because not focusing is also the tough part, right? And you can take on way too many things. And I think for us, we want to build the things that matter the most and that builders will benefit the most from. So I think there are a handful of core elements here that is all about how do we make treasure the best and the easiest place for you to come and build? And all of these things kind of fit within that. And then there's a player side, which is 
how do we bring the best games and have mm -hmm. great content that you just want to play and find delight in, right? And so I think it's having a bit of that filter on as you go down this path of product development, which is a tough thing. Not easy. <laughs> Focus is tough and steering the ship and having that vision, it's, it's hard, particularly in your case where there's so much potential and so much opportunity. I appreciate the, the honest answer that it is tough. Okay. We're filming this on November 22nd. This is only, this is going to come out in a few weeks at the beginning of December, but I know Trove has an announcement tomorrow. What's happening? What's going on? What can people be excited about now that this is coming out? <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly what I said. We're wrapping it into this kind of gaming focused destination mm. for treasure. So that's a big one. The other side is I think part of just getting into magic and treasure and being on an L2 Arbitrum is that there's a lot of layers and hoops that you have to kind of jump in, jump through. So we're, we're partnering with MoonPay to power kind of the fiat on-ramp experience. So you have a credit card, you have a bank account, you should be able to jump in and get access kind of immediately through that, which is going to be great. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all about this kind of theme of gaming. We're doubling down on that sort of focus. And then it's also kind of putting our kind of flag into the ground of the next kind of frontier of it, which is these different kind of tools, features, products around the whole proof of play, the achievements, this like XP system. Mm -hmm. We want to elders kind of get to market quicker and there's a whole theme of also just content distribution there's so many content creators out there as well and so how do we kind of work with them to kind of drive attention to their audiences and their game but help kind of work with them on that side of things too so you can wrap a lot of that into really this kind of marketplace and you can only do so because it's now focused on gaming incredible i love it okay I want to give people a chance if I'm a, if I'm a player and I want to join, I want to play one of your games, what's the path? How do I get involved? Yeah, I'd say post this update, you should be able to just go to trove, trove.treasure.lol. There will be a games page. You can jump in and get a feel for what these games are. Some of them are free to play. You don't even have to pay anything, which we think will be the norm for moving forward or for a while. And so you should be able to test it out. If you do want to get magic, get any of this, you can use that moon pay kind of widgets or a number of other means to gain access to it. But I think the most important part that we try to stress is just to have fun to, you know, doing this and learning more about everything that's kind of going on, not just in, in within treasure, but within the space across the board. Amazing. I love it. And where can people find you online? If people want to connect with you, if builders want to connect, if they're thinking, hey, we might build our game on treasure. Yeah, yeah. Twitter is the best spot. Twitter.com slash O-0X-Karel, K-A-R-E-L. Okay, let's jump into a speed round before we wrap up here. We've got three questions coming at you quick. Opportunity for our listeners to get a little bit, to know a little more of the personal side of Corel. Okay, what's an NFT you'll never sell? That's a good one. My first small brains that I got from drawing a stupid photo on a napkin and took a photo of it. That's a terrible photo <laughs> or a terrible picture of it. But, you know, it's, it's one of the blue chips of Arbitrum and of Treasure. Amazing. Amazing. And was that drawn just like, what was the inspiration for the drawing? 
Oh, well, I mean, it was, uh, there was a prompt, right? And so it was just draw. I mean, it was, there was the original picture of the small brain. So I tried my best to do it when I was out and borrowed someone's pen to, to draw it on the napkin. And <laughs> Are you an artist? Picture of it. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, so it was, I will say it was probably a low effort submission that ended up getting me access to this, which was, and, but, you know, I was fortunate to, to be among kind of that group who was maybe like early enough to know that this whole crazy thing was going on, which led me to, to where I am today. There you go. Awesome. Okay. Another web three project that you're excited about could be within the treasury ecosystem could be outside. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I have to say something within our ecosystem. It's this game called the beacon. So they're creating this like rogue light sort of RPG dungeon crawler game. They've been at it for quite a while kind of building. And so we spent a lot of time kind of working with them, trying to convince them to build it within treasure, which was a process, but I think it was just as a player though, super excited by it, had their play test on the kind of, well, in the lead up to their kind of launch on November 25th. And so it's been a good sort of run to kind of just try it out, test it, play it. And it's just, it's really fun. There are kind of dungeon crawling kind of elements to it. You can, you have a house and a settlement you can kind of decorate, but it's really kind of novel in how they're approaching the web three components of it, mm -hmm. which I think is a ever growing and evolving kind of design space to kind of work through. And they're doing it really well. And if you're listening to this, it will be a few days, be about 10 days past the mint date, because I think the founding characters mint on November 25th, you said. Yeah, exactly. They will have, I think, a pet, pet eggs mint, which is going to be out in a, maybe a couple of days from here. So, so that might be live as well, but you know, it's also something again, it's free to play. So you can start jumping in and start earning things and take it out of the game and just do what you want with it. It's, that's the beauty of ownership. So fun. I love it. Okay. Final question. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? That's, I mean, if it definitely is a treasure ad, I mean, if we have that, that, <laughs> can't that help exposure, <laughs> if we have that exposure, we have to, it, it, it say, I mean, our tagline is the magic of play. Right. And I think it's, there's something that is kind of special about that kind of line, right? Because we're, we're in this because there's something kind of beautiful of playing. There's something kind of magical about the space and what we kind of do with it. And it's a spin on the token that we have. But I think most importantly, it's like we're in here because we can kind of create something that is new and different and expressing new modes of playing. I think playing and gaming has different definitions now. It's not just picking up a video game. You can play by even trading NFTs. You can play by creating if you wanted to be a storyteller and active in some DAO or some community or play within a game, you can play in that sort of way. And I think all of the means are, I think will start to resonate across the board, right? And so if we have a billion people watching, that's, that's a sight to see. We don't have a billion people on our podcast yet, but we'll get there and we'll Not definitely get yet. a billion people Soon. on Treasure as well, because we're all in this together and wag me, we're all going to make it. Thanks everybody for listening in today. Carl, this is a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate the time and everything that you guys are doing for the space. It's a, it's a deep bow for all your hard work and the way you guys are leading us forward. It's super exciting. And I think you guys are going to be one of the big onboarders for sure. So I'm calling it here. Could be one of the big onboarders of 2023 is Treasure Dow. Check it out, everybody. Thanks again, Crow. Thanks so much for having me.
It was a pleasure. Cheers, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.